When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what are you doing? Still trying to figure that out. Uh, I have literally no idea what day it is anymore. It's been a long week. We're off our routine due to weather. So we, yeah, we, are, we are here. Talk about it. Why, what day are we recording and why? Uh, it's Thursday evening and we're filming right before a massive snowstorm that arrives tomorrow. Uh, well, they say it's massive. This is going to release... In two weeks, so we'll see how massive it was. Yeah. But the uh, but yeah, so typically we record Mondays. That didn't work out this week just because it was literally like negative five, and we weren't doing that. So we just pushed it to when the weather increased a little bit, so it's like forty out. Um, so that's nice. It's a nice change. I feel like I'm overdressed right now. Yeah, I'm very warm. Well, good. Mm. I don't know about that. I'm ready to be warm. I don't like to be warm. I like to be like sixty degrees is my prime. Is I that, feel like right now my body's at like an 80, 85, and I don't like that. Is that why fall is your favorite season? 100%. Also because there's no rain. I hate the rain. Spring would be a great season. That's also when my birthday is. But I feel like spring is just so annoying because it's always raining. You can't do anything. Yeah, but it brings May flowers, bro. I don't care. I'm a May flower. Let's start spring in May. Let's talk about May. Oh, we should not talk about the May flower. No, we shouldn't. We're we good. will not talk about the May flower. No, we're good. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, fall is my favorite. You can still golf when the leaves are changing and the leaves are falling. You can't really golf when it's spring rain. So, uh, there's that. Fall's also my favorite yeah. for alpha reasons. But because you're a beta. Sure. You're the worst. <laughs> well, speaking of beta, man, uh, before we dive into the episode, thank you very much for joining whoever is new here. If you are new here, hit that subscribe button, leave a like on this video. If you find anything in here useful, probably nothing, but also leave a comment down below. Let us know what your favorite part of today's episode was. We are going to be talking about our weekly recap, which we kind of already started our Wednesday whiskey segment, which is Hennessy, very special cognac, which is a very interesting twist on what we normally do. And then we're rounding out today's episode with our Prominent Figures of Buffalo segment miniseries, episode eight, part one, William Wild Bill Joe Donovan. That's a mouthful. A little bit. So. Weekly recap. Why am I the worst? I, you're just all over the place, oh, man. That's all. Always. Always. That's how I live my life, man. I live mine a quarter mile, quarter mile at a time. I am. So 
My weekly recap, I'll keep it short. You and I with the BHH Housewives, yes, it's a thing. Uh, we had a night out, so we went to Mambrino King and then 189 after that. Had a blast as usual. Uh, shout out to Mambrino King for putting our interview sticker on your front door for all the guests to see. We appreciate it. Um, 189 was great. The food was fantabulous as always with the flame built fashions. So thank you for that. And then um, outside of that evening night out together that did not consist of cake, sad, We, uh, I purchased a new miter saw, so I'll never need one again in my life. It's got a lifetime warranty that's already registered with the manufacturer, so I'm literally just going to like build a house now because yeah. that's what I can do with this thing. Why did you need one? Like, what, what sprung your idea where you're like, I really need this right now? I needed tools to prep my house for sale. So I have to redo all the door casings. I'm replacing every door. Do you have to or is no, it just I do. Okay. And then I'm doing all the trim inside the entire house. So needed a miter saw for that. Again, obviously. was that needed? Like, do you need to redo it or is it just not up to Mike Kelly standards? It's a mixture of both. Gotcha. But it's it's needed. Um, the Basically, I knew that I was going to be doing a lot of things, whether it's the next house, if it's a fixer-upper, I'm going to need tools mm-hmm. to do things at the next house as well. So to prep my current house and then have things available for my next house and save a gajillion dollars instead of hiring carpenters, um, I needed tools. So invested in it, did it. I'm stoked. What are you not comfortable doing when it comes to home improvements? Basically everything. <laughs> You're not comfortable with everything? No, God, no. <laughs> I don't have steady hands, but it's all, it's like, it's all trial and error. Yeah. So that's the other part of it too for me is – like when I'm in the middle of something, I'll just figure it out and do it. But it's building up enough courage to start and like taking out the first screw and seeing like, oh boy, like I, was, I screwed up yeah. and like what happens. But, um, you know, for for me, just to, to build up that initial courage and then I'd rather learn in this house because I'm fixing it up to sell it so that with my forever home, I have this, the skills are like mastered and then I can just make sure that everything is perfect, quote unquote, yeah. you know. Or as as nice as it could be. At what point are you – have you ever built something and you're like – or deconstructed something and you like just took out that first thing and you're like, I should go back. I shouldn't do this. Have you ever had that thought? No, because I've never done something where I felt like that, like a car. I've never was like, I'm going to disassemble this engine and then reassemble it so I know how it operates. Like, no, no way. So you've never – I've been in that situation a couple times, especially with my last car. Dude, I went hard with that last car. Yes, I, you did. I had a Subaru, so everybody that doesn't know I had a Subaru, and I modded the shit out of that thing. And I did all of it myself, too. Like I had friends helping me, but I took off like the intercooler. And this is me. We got comments in the last episode. I'm a 6 Alpha, so I'm trying to get up to the 7. That's why I'm explaining this a little bit right now. But I took off the whole front intercooler, the whole front crash beam, and replaced everything myself. And as I'm taking this stuff it's off... It's still on a Subaru WRX, so it's not like... Sure, but you couldn't do it, so... It's not that I couldn't... It's I chose not to, sure. and, and I had a 99 GC8 sub. so yeah. it's like, wh- why would I totally do anything crazy to a, a Subi that could barely survive winter? Right, but yeah, I took everything off. I It was such a headache to get it all back together, but when I was doing it, I took like the front crash beam off of the car, and I just sat there with my hands in my, or my head in my hands, and I'm like, I should go back. 
this isn't this isn't for me. Right. Like, how am I going to get to work? <laughs> yeah. I well, just disassembled half of my vehicle. Well, that's the thing is that I didn't have my buddy, Ray, who helps me with all my cars now. Um, he had like a huge, um, what are they called? Breaker bars. Like it right. was seriously six feet long. And I only had like a regular ratchet. I mean, the ratchet that I had was pretty heavy duty, but I couldn't put enough leverage on it to pop the bolts off the um, the crash beam. And I needed to take the crash beam off or else the intercooler wouldn't fit. So I'm standing there. I'm like, I can't, I can't go to work. I have no way to get to work because my car is in pieces. It was sketchy. I'm glad that phase is over with. Yeah. I got right out from under that car. I'm like, it's going to blow up soon. I got to get out of here. And then I ran. That's it. Into an infinity. You ran to infinity and beyond. Ah, I had to. to. Ah. God. Nailed it. That's the only thing that we're using that for. (laughs) We use it like once every four months, but it's fine. Yeah. Why do you have a scarf on? Uh, my neck always gets really cold in this jacket. And then it was a gift. A little M&T so, Bank. Little M&T little Bank bills? action. Uh, it's Bills. Oh, look at that. And it's uh, it's silky. Nice. So, keeps my neck warm. All right, so... After today's conversation, I have to go at least up to a 6.5, and Mike has to go down to like a 7.2. Listen, we got to be closer from listen, here. Listen, man. Mad Bomber wears great clothes. He does. He's awesome. And I'm sure he could fix up his house. Yeah, but can he really fix a Subaru? I don't think so. All right, so... Uh, too busy being a dad. Yeah, so we went out. We went to 189. Shout out to 189. Amazing food as always. And uh, what did you get to drink? Speaking of our cocktail sections, what would you get to drink when you were there? We well, yeah, I, I shouted him out for the flame old fashioned. Yeah, it was so good. Did you forget? Yeah, Perfect. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I never awesome. do when you talk. I, I'm glad as, we have conversations. As soon as you start talking, I'm just like, just train rock right into the ground. No, I'm just kidding. No, I just missed that part. My bad. No, it's fine. I mean, if you know, if you were a pilot, you'd be Amelia Earhart. So, uh, speaking of which, my buddy got a uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. And I was like Amelia Earhart because I crashed <laughs> so hard into the ground like every time. It is the most difficult game to ever do. Well, yeah, it's also difficult in life. What's up, Kobe? Be- <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much. Uh, this has been episode 72. Um, it's very, very difficult. I can't. As soon as you get in there, like, there's levels of varying difficulties. You can start by basically just, like, putting on the accelerator and pulling the joystick back, and then you start taking off. But there's a whole checklist. If you want to go hard, it's like you look up, and there's 90,000 buttons, and you have to press the right buttons in the right order. I could never do that. Did and you're you, flying like an actual passenger plane. You remember back in like early 2000s, late 90s, those mm-hmm. free online games that you would play and then they had a flight simulator on there? No. It was, uh, the how was that website? It was like, was it EB Games? Some, there was like four different websites that we used to go on for free online games. Mm. They were all, all like tanks. Um, I just remember paintball. We played paintball all the time in like school web design. And then Kitty Cannon. Yeah. Remember Kitty Cannon? Mm-hmm. So and, like, and we played a bridge design too or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bridge design was sick because he'd always try to figure out if the semi could get across. <laughs> and he basically just like killed all the drivers <laughs> who had to see the elk as your bridge collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. I was the worst architect. I was like, maybe like this bar from here to there will work. And it's like not even attached to anything. Yeah. <laughs> and the bridge just collapses. Everybody dies. The only time that I was like really flew anything outside of the flight simulator was in Grand Theft Auto. And you would just go up in the air in the plane. And then I would literally just jump out and have the plane crash. And then I would parachute down. It's crazy because they basically made they took that concept and then just formulated PUBG. 
Mm. Like you go, yeah. just hey-ho yourself in. It's like, all right, sick. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's our weekly recap. So we got a Super Bowl coming up. What are your predictions? What do you got? Honestly, I could care less. I haven't even thought about it. Yeah. Like, I'll watch it, but I'm whatever. The Bills lost. I'm, I'm hurt. Would you would you rather us get to the Super Bowl and lose to Tom Brady or lose to Pat Mahomes in the AFC Championship? I would rather lose to Pat Mahomes in the mm. AFC Championship. I really just want Brady to, like... Dude, he's said that he's going to play till he's over 45 I now. I just don't want him around. I'll let everybody think what I think that means or how I feel, whatever, but... He just should not be around anymore. Just go away. Kobe. Just like retreat. Oh, jeez. He just needs to like go away. Yeah. So I'm over. But he's him. not going to. I. He's not going up, anywhere. Derek. <laughs> Dude, you see the Patriots are looking to bring in Chris Godwin. What? Yeah. He's a restricted free or unrestricted free agent after this year. I think. Interesting. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. Let's t- tank the Bucks. Nobody wants them to succeed anymore. No. Not at all. But yeah, so you don't care who wins or you just don't have any predictions? No, I, Are you in any Super Bowl scores? No, I don't gamble, dude. You know that. Well, I know, but Super Bowls, I mean. I don't care. There's don't there's two different types of gambling. There's going to the casino and wasting all of your money or there's staying at home wasting all your money. So it just depends on which one you do. <laughs> exactly. I, I'll do Super Bowl squares in fantasy football all the time, but I won't go to the casino. Nope. You don't even do Super Bowl squares, dude. Nope. It's like the easiest thing to do in the world. Nope. Because then I, I'm like forced to worry about something. I don't want to live that life. I'm good. Well, you don't have to worry about it. Just put it away. I got money on it. Tune it out. Too late. Ten bucks. Ten bucks is ten bucks, bro. No, T- Jesus. You know how much ice cream I can buy with $10 hairs? Or how much shipping we can buy for two books? True. What a trash <laughs> agreement that was with the post office, but whatever. These things are not that heavy. They uh, So our New Year's resolution this year or our goal for this year was for us to get a cert- certification for whiskey. Which is hilarious yeah. because even when we pass, we still don't know what we're doing. No, it's fine. But look it, at it's this It's funny, thing. though, how much we do know. So my buddy came over because I'm selling the duplex, and he literally told me I already have nine showings booked, and yeah. we just started, like, yesterday. I told you. The house was going to sell in I two know, weeks. I'm so excited. But we got we uh, went to Stave and Thieve. Uh, society.com and they are with the moonshine academy and really what this is this is a certificate that allow or basically gets you to be a bourbon whiskey steward which is the equivalent to like a wine sommelier or something like that that's right so we were talking about that we said that we wanted to do it we actually followed through with it we each got a book and we're going to take the test when we feel comfortable but Shipping on these books. I mean, what are you doing? It was $16 hairs to ship two books, and they came in separate USPS packages, which made absolutely no sense because if it fits, it ships. And let me tell you something. There was room. There was a ton of room. Another book could have fit in one package. But there was also a business card in there. But um, Oh, brother. Yeah, so the shipping options, too. There wasn't like a... There was Priority Mail, which is what we got, which was sixteen fifty, and then there was FedEx. That's the only other shipping option for sixteen seventy five. I'm like, what's going on? Like, at least give me like a poor man's shipping option that's three ninety nine and it takes fourteen years to get there. Yeah, right. I, I I will wait to save money. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I also order everything off of Amazon Prime, so I don't really know if I would have waited to save some money. Dude, Bezos steps down. Isn't that crazy? Why? I have no idea. Maybe he was sick of giving his wife all of his money. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, that might be it. It might be it. Dude, she's extremely rich now. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you don't sign a prenup. 
What do you think about? <laughs> do we, do we have... <laughs> what do I think about prenups? No, like the the whole situation in general. I don't think that you need to to sign a prenup, but also should they really get half of everything? Regardless, if my wife, if if Gina hits big, and then we end up getting a divorce, why should I get any of her money? That makes zero sense. It would be different, like child support. Sure. If there's child support involved and you have to pay for the kid, whatever. But when Jeff Bezos and his wife get divorced and she gets literally half of his fortune for doing nothing, why? Emotional distress? I don't know what distress. I, I don't know. I don't, I've don't. i never understood divorce. I, I don't get it, man. Divorce sucks. Never understood. Oh, this is, whoa. Can you just drink it? No. Because we got to rate this thing and there's a lot to discuss. Which I literally say every week, but don't judge. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't understand divorce or you don't understand prenups? I don't understand divorce and I don't understand how you don't like this. Dude, It's we'll talk about it, but it's wine. Aged wine. Let's slow it down. It is, though. I know that, dude. (laughs) But it doesn't mean you give it disrespect. I don't know, man. This is in the middle ground, and I'm just... It's fine. I haven't had Hennessy in a very long time. You know what what Hennessy is like? Wine. Well, not not Hennessy, but things like Hennessy. Hello? What are you doing? Is this my first time here? Can you silence your phone? Jesus. We're in episode 72, and you're the reason why. We- Hit that subscribe button. <laughs> you broke our streak of no phone interruptions after 72 episodes and damn near 60 special interviews. You uh, you did it on like the second episode. but It that, doesn't count. A- <laughs> we had a folding table and half the equipment. We didn't know what was going on. That's a bad we, assumption that you think we do now. We barely forgot to hit record. All right, let me uh, make sure that this is silent now. Oh, look at that. Everything was up. Jesus. Good <laughs> thing YouTube didn't pop up. Uh, what were you saying now? Yeah. After this rude interruption. Yeah, that, tu- that tube. So anyways, the Hennessy is kind of, like you said, in the middle ground, but it's interesting. I would compare it to like trench warfare in World War One, where you had... The trenches, so you have wine, and then you have bourbon, rye, and scotch in opposing trenches fighting each other. And then on the far perimeters of the trenches, you have machine guns, and they form the X. And then you have this type of product in the exact dead center, just getting obliterated by four machine guns, like right where the X of both sectors are. I mean, I guess that makes sense a little bit, but... This makes me so happy how your phone is just literally all over the place. My sister's texting me. I don't know what's going on. Listen, Autumn um, Leaf, we are occupied at the moment, Tito. Is she all right? I don't know, man. She can wait. She's fine. Oh, my um, God. So, Tell her to go on WebMD. Yeah, basically. But, I mean, this isn't in the middle, though. The only reason that this is in the middle, this is in the you middle. You literally just said it's in the middle. <laughs> it's it's in between, but it's not in the middle at all. Oh, yeah. It's it's in between two things, but that's not the middle. That's just in between two things. Yeah, but you that's can have things. The so, like, if alpha and beta, you know, zero to ten, five is in the middle, but three is in between. Don't say, don't start this with is, math. You already lost me. <laughs> this is, like, 
on a scale of zero being wine, 10 being whiskey, obviously whiskey is always a 10. This comes in like around a two or a three. This is the same as getting like gin aged in oak barrels. That's all that this is. This is wine aged in oak barrels, basically. Can we rate this thing? Let's get let's get to the whiskey section. All right, so as you probably figured out already, uh, I got some family stuff going on. Just kidding. Um, we have <laughs> Hennessy with us today. And for some godforsaken reason, Mike got Hennessy for Christmas. You're damn right. And not our, and now we have it on the show. So we've Woo! done bourbon. We've done whiskey. We've done scotch. We've done rye. We've done wine. We've done beer. So I guess now, for some godforsaken reason, the next logical step is cognac. Hennessy! Oh, my God. So the Hennessy Cognac Distillery was founded by Irish Jacobite military officer Richard Hennessy in 1765. Hell, yeah. That's my, my kind of people, baby. <laughs> His son, James Hennessy, gave the company its name Jazz Hennessy & Co. in 1813 during the 1970s. Or, I'm sorry, Co. in 1813. During the 1970s, Killian Hennessy, a fifth-generation direct descendant of Hennessy, became the CEO, succeeding his first cousin, Maurice Richard. Killian Hennessy superseded the company's 1971 merger, or, superhead, or spearheaded the company's 1971 merger at Moet et Chandon, which created Moet Hennessy. You know oh, saying? look at that! In order for a spirit, so if you guys don't know, Hennessy is considered a brandy, but this is a specific kind of brandy called cognac. So you all cognac is brandy, but not all brandy is cognac. Kind of similar to like the whiskey bourbon, bourbon whiskey. Like all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. It's the same thing applies to here. So cognac is always going to be brandy, but not all brandy is going to be cognac. So in order for a spirit to be called cognac, the spirit uh, needs to be double distilled from white wine produced from grapes grown in the cognac Appellation d'Origine Contrôlée. Or AOC. You, first of all, you really should have had me try to read that. And secondly, it would be AOC. I know. Continue. Nailed it. Um, and the AOC region is all green, green energy. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so it's the, yeah. There's no cow farts. <laughs> Jesus. That's what makes it so special. So an area, the AOC, the Appalachian d'Origine Controle, is an area extending from the bank Banks of France, scenic Charente River, to the shores of the Atlantic. Oh, I have no idea. This is all in French. Gina, <laughs> come read this. I still don't know who you're yelling for. Her name is Journey. <laughs> her name is Gina. We call her Journey because Mike decided to have a brain fart one day, and he just decided to call her Journey from there on out. But her real name is Gina. <laughs> it was like two years ago. So yeah, no, really. So AOC is a French certification certification granted to the certain French geographical indications for wine, cheeses, butters, and other agricultural products, all under the auspices of Government Bureau Institut National de Appellation d'Origine. That was pretty good. I was actually pretty proud of myself there. Uh, it's probably all wrong. But now it's called the Institut National d'Origine et de la Qualité. No idea. I-N-A-O for short. We'll just call it I-N-A-O. I just hope cheese randomly appears because yeah. you just like ordered something. 
<laughs> Gina just comes out with breaches and she's like, here you go. Um, Can't wait to meet this Gina person. So talking points. Here's some talking points of this. So all cognac is brandy, but not all brandy is cognac, obviously, like we just discussed. Is that why this is very special? I'll get to that. So for brandy to be called cognac, it must be made, again, from the specified grape varieties grown in the AOC, a majority of Ugni Blanc, with small portions of Columbard and Fola Blanche allowed. Double distilled in copper pot stills and then aged at least two years in limousine or transois oak barrels. Cognac must be at least 40% alcohol. So if people didn't catch by now, cognac is actually a region within France. So the same that champagne cannot be called champagne if it doesn't come from Champagne. This is the same thing. Cognac, you cannot call something cognac that is not from the cognac region in France. So the designation that you see on cognac labels, VS, which is very special, VSOP, very, very superior old pale, or XO, extra old, are a guarantee of how long a cognac has been aged. The very special indication that we have here indicates that the cognac has been aged for at least two years. VSOP, or very superior old pale, is at least four years, and then extra old is at least six years. Most cognacs are aged much longer, however, featuring a blend of eau de vie that can date back decades. So that's why it's called very special. So basically, from this label, you can get that this is a cognac. It's aged, it's distilled in the cognac region of France. It is made from white uh, grapes that are basically distilled wine. And it is aged for at least two years because of that very special label. So according to Zeznovitz, 60% of cognac consumption in the world is diluted. Either it's served on the rocks with water or mixed in cocktails. So we have it obviously neat because we do everything neat here. The French drink as much scotch as they produce cognac, nearly 12 million cases. The vast majority of cognac is exported, says Sir Zeznovitz. Um, according to Master Blender, Laurent Robin of Louis Royer, 50 years is the average lifespan of a copper pot still due to the acidity and the heat from distilling cognac. It's pretty interesting. Coloring can be legally added uh, to cognacs to ensure consistency. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And then writers are disparate of... Uh, Writers as disparate of Victor Hugo and the notorious B.I.G. have waxed poetic about cognac over the years but busta rhymes and p diddy's hit 2002 song past the couvoisier can be credited with putting cognac on the pop culture map do you know the official respected way to open a fresh bottle of honey i do not because i don't open fresh bottles of honey you have to hold it open or is this real or is this what this is what i was told you gotta you gotta look at it, hold it, and then you gotta smack the bottom. Then you're allowed to open it. Perfect. Roll them harder. That's what I tell Colleen all the time when I say something stupid to her, and then she rolls her eyes, and then I'm like, "Oh yeah, roll them harder." And then she does because she gets super. She literally hates when I say that. Anyways, not that anyone cares about my marital issues. Yeah, really. Let's let's talk more about that. So that's Hennessy for you. See, so, yeah, I got slap is- it. Yeah, that is the Hennessy that we have, very special cognac, and um, this should be interesting because, like we said, you're taking elements of wine, which are the grapes, and you're blending it basically, or metaphorically, you're blending it with elements of bourbon, which is aging it in barrels. So that's why you're kind of getting both of those flavor profiles, but it is not bourbon. It is a two on the one to ten wine to bourbon scale. Boom. 
Nailed it. So drop the beef for the cocktail section. Sounds like you drove over a spike strip. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know what, was what that? that was. I don't know. I don't you know. tell me. Did I just hit somebody? Probably. <laughs> the spike strip blew out all my tires, and I just started skidding down the street. And it was a little icy because it's about 12 degrees right now in Buffalo. So as I'm skidding down the street, I'm looking at a snowbank, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have to really stop. So I pull that e-brake. The back end flies out, can and we, I go can- down. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you're the literal worst. My cocktail is the Hennessy Berry Cocktail. You take one and a half ounces of Henny. Very special. One and a half ounces of cranberry juice, and then another one and a half ounces of pineapple juice. To make it, you pour the henne, very special, into a highball glass. You add the ice cubes to fill the glass. You top it with both juices, and then you garnish it with a lime wedge. Nice. Come at me. What do you got? I have the Hennessy Guava Cocktail. Ooh. So it's literally what you just said, but minus. No, I'm just kidding. It's really not that close. Muddle strawberries and lime wedge together. You're adding the Hennessy VS in ice in a shaker, and then you shake. Strain into a rocks glass, garnish with a strawberry slice. And that's it. See, now, this is this is my gripe with this. The fact that you're paying for the name. Hennessy is not cheap. It's not at all cheap. And you're paying for the name of Hennessy. The same reason that I have the issues with Woodford Reserve. I've been open about that. I don't like Woodford Reserve, and I don't think that it's worth the money because you people that are not familiar with the whiskey scene, they see Woodford, they automatically associate the name to that, and then you pay more. Same with McAllen. That's my issue with this type of brandy because everybody knows Hennessy. Like, you don't even know that it's brandy at that point. You just know Hennessy. You don't even know what it is. Half the time, people don't even know what Hennessy is. So that's where my issue lies with this. Well, that sounds like a, a you problem. If I ever heard one. That's why I said that's what my issue is about this. Not yours. Yeah. I, I heard loud and clear. Heard it through my headphones into my earlobes. So your ear lobes? That's weird. All the things. <laughs> heard it through all the things. My ear canal. Here you go. Right into your cerebellum located near your limbic system. Your li- Oh my god. God. Okay. So, no. What are we doing here? Uh, so this is the well, no, la- label, section. Label, branding. label branding. Bro, it's honey. You got to rate it high. You're gonna give it a D. <laughs> Can you relax? <laughs> Look at this. No, it is beautiful. Of course it is. You see this on a shelf, and they're like, "Damn, everybody, damn." The man's got honey. All right. So a plus. We'll go A. A. I mean, it's still kind of basic, you know, like they got the little wreath all the way around, a little bit of gold. Opening this was actually kind of cool. I like the bottle shape. I will say that. It's very specific well, to Hennessy. Well, Hennessy. this one is, they're all like this? Yeah. I'm pretty I'm, sure. I'm going to show my ignorance because I just sure. got this gigantic bottle for Christmas. I mean, I don't think that they're all that big. That's 1.75 liters. I'm pretty sure that this still comes in 750 milliliters. Well, yeah, I don't it does. Know, dude, I don't drink Henny. Um... Yeah, I'm pretty sure all of them have that same bottle shape. All right, good. So then, yeah, A. I'm going to write it down. Uh. Me and my frozen pen. Yeah, they're all the same bottle shape. All right, sweet. Nose, what are you picking up? You getting anything? Jesus, this looks like the friggin', um, 
That's a nice curvy bottle right there. That looks like the secretary from Monsters, Inc., Mr. Wazowski. <laughs> you know? There's like a blob walking around. Um, what are we doing now? Nose? Yeah, that's next. <laughs> Nose, I'm getting... We've been doing this for damn near two years. What does it say? <laughs> Whiskey review? I'm, dude, we're, we're drinking brandy. Everything's off the table right now. <laughs> um, so on the nose, you're getting like fresh. Maybe it's just because it's freezing in here. But like, have you ever frozen green grapes? Or no? Uh, grapes? Yeah. Yeah. So it tastes like that because it's so cold, but also like a hint of green apple, too. That's all I'm getting on the nose. I agree with you. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Initial taste. Oh, we didn't rate that. So, B? Nah, I'm sorry. I'll give it an A. I, I do. The initial taste is very, very nice. So, B plus. Nose, B plus. Mm-hmm. Okay. The initial taste, you're hit with the, the blast of the grapes, obviously. Up front, and then as it goes back, it's transitioning to uh, the characteristics of the barrel. So you're getting a little bit of char, a little wood sugar, some vanilla, a little bit of caramel, um, but that's it. I'm getting a lot of wood sugar and caramel. Mm -hmm. That's mainly what I get in the initial taste. I'm still, I'm cool with the B plus on this. Mm -hmm. Ending note, it kind of dissipates like a wine does, uh, like a dry wine a little bit. This is very similar. If you took, what was it? What was the Japanese whiskey that tasted a lot like wine? Was it the Kokori? Perfect. Um, so I think it was Kokori. If you took Kokori and you put it in, in a barrel for two years, like a French limousine barrel, I bet this would taste very similar. Well, let's test your theory, Derek. That'd be cool. We should get a barrel, like a like one of those small tabletop ones, so we can mix our own stuff or age it. I'm sorry, not mix it. Probably come out tasting like shoe leather. Perfect. I like buffalo trays. The savagery this episode. <laughs> Damn. Buffalo Trace is good. I like shoe leather. I like leather notes in my bourbon. But leather is typical to Buffalo Trace. So ending note, it's going down like a, just like a, the, the peels of the grapes. Like the kind of dryness that you the get skins. from the skin of the grape. Yeah. Uh, B minus. The ending note isn't doing anything for me. No, there's some baking spice, but there's not much. And there's... Very, very little burn on the any note. It's all in the initial taste mm -hmm. for the burn, um, which does kind of add to the experience of drinking it. But I'm going to go B. Maybe maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh. Are you, though? But the ending note does not want me to keep drinking. To me. Yeah, you're being a little harsh. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, just kidding. I, it's I, there's no sweetness at the end. Everything's in the initial taste. The initial taste kind of wants me to drink again, but nothing that lingers or goes down makes me want to take another sip. It's in between. When you 
when you're sipping this, in between, actually in between, the initial taste and the any note is what makes you want more. Mm-hmm. This is an experience thing. It's not like, hey, it's Tuesday. Yeah. I have to go buy some honey. Okay, so we did a B minus for the ending note, right? Uh, we just gave it a flat B. Okay, let's do a flat B then. So, final rating. All right, give me that countdown. Three, two, one. 81. 82. 81.5. Nice. It's not bad. Honestly, have you ever had brandy straight no, without so that's, Hennessy? So, well, I've never had anything. So, for me... <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I came into this dry, <laughs> but no, the, the whole, the whole thing for me was the experience. Like, all right, a good friend of mine loves honey, drinks it often. So I waited for him to come over to teach me like what's proper. How do we do this the right way? How do we enjoy this? How do you enjoy it? So what he does is he has honey neat. Um, he was at my house, so I gave him a chilled glass and he has Budweiser separate. So he's just, it's basically like a boilermaker, except really with brandy. So he'll have Bud Heavies and then sip Henny. And that's how he goes about his life. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to sip it neat, see what I think. So I tried it and he's anxiously watching me. He's like, <laughs> so I sip it and I go, that is not what I expected it to be. Yeah. Like I had no expectations. I had no, um, like prior assumptions of, no one's taught me anything about this. Nobody's told me what they like. Nothing. The only thing I heard was, "This is one of my favorite sippers," mm-hmm. and then I just relax. And I'm like, "Well, I'm that way with like certain bourbons." I'm like, "All right, well, sounds good." Yeah. Well, basically all bourbons. So I'm like, "All right, well, sounds good. Like I'll try it." And we sat down, watched a movie, drank it. And I was like, "Man, this is actually not bad." Uh, Colleen likes it. My wife, if you're new here, so she's like, "Well, that's actually it's kind of sweet." I'm like it is. Like, it's not what we're used to, because yeah. her and I will just sit there and sip bourbon and, and relax. But, you know, I'm I'm at a higher proof point. She's She can handle, like, 90, mm-hmm. 94 range, um, you know, but she still likes, like, 86 proof point. So dropping down to an 80 and having this, it's like a – it's kind of syrupy, mm-hmm. but it's not – like, it's thinner. Yeah. I'm honestly a fan of it. But I had no notions going into it prior. I was just like, well, I'll just sit here and sip it and see what happens. Yeah. The the cool thing with cognac, which I enjoy, is whiskey uses ex-cognac barrels to finish their product in. Uh, just what comes off the top of my mind, three-chord bourbon. They partner with a local liquor store, Eddie's, where we normally – who we partner with a lot to get all of our products. And they did an Eddie's Select – and I'm pretty sure it was finishing a cognac barrel. So think of this. And I wonder if Hennessy specifically has partnered with uh, a whiskey distributor to finish their product in a Hennessy specific barrel. That'd be very interesting. But the notes I'm a fan of. I like the notes, like the green apple, the grape, the obviously the vanilla and the caramel and all that stuff. It's just the overall like non-punchiness that is associated with bourbon. That's what I think that this is lacking. To me, the flavors are there, but the volume isn't there, Yeah, which is why I rated it very low. When you'd get a bourbon or a whiskey or anything like that, and maybe this is just because my palate is trained to enjoy bourbon more, but you get the the fullness of 
the corn or the wheat or the rye or the barley or whatever it may be. Whereas this, I mean, it's literally just grape. So I, I think to me, it's just lacking that full bodiness, which maybe that's brandy. I don't really know because I haven't had a other brandy. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to try more, but I also just like this. So if I'm in the mood for it, I'll probably yeah. just pick some up and just have it. So question for you. Looking at whiskey, rank these three in or rank these four in order. Whiskey, wine, beer. I lied. Rank those three in order. Whiskey, wine, and beer. Yeah. In preference of what I would like most. Yeah. What you what you enjoy more? Whiskey, wine, beer. That's how I'd rank oh, really? them. I would rate uh, beer lowest, then wine, and then whiskey is my favorite. Okay. And the reason being is, if I'm hosting or if I'm at a nice occasion and having a nice dinner, if I'm out somewhere, or you know, if if I go to a family member's house and we have a nice meal, I'm not going to have a super nice meal and then have a 12 ounce beer. Like that's not what I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm working on my truck, if I'm doing outdoor work, if I'm building something, I'll crack a beer. But anything else in my life, if I'm watching a football game, if I'm relaxing, um, if I'm hosting or, or whatever, and like it, and there's fine dining, it's always whiskey or wine. So wine and beer are more situational for you, where whiskey is basically every every day, every situation. Yeah, I can make whiskey work anywhere, yeah. doing anything. So it's, but it's also because I know like my tolerance is fine tuned for whiskey where a lot of people have no clue what their tolerance is with whiskey, even if they can have a shot all day and or mm-hmm. consistent number of shots and they won't feel it. But if they just sit down and like have whiskey, they're screwed. They'll, they'll just go to like zero to 400 real quick or yeah. whatever. Whereas I feel like me and you are way opposite. Like I, if I have X number of, of 12 ounce beers, a, I'll feel like absolute garbage, yeah. but B, I'll, uh, and B, I'll be super bloated. And then C, I don't know how many I need to drink to be okay mm-hmm. or what my threshold is. With whiskey, it's it's so fine-tuned, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, it's kind of scary how fine-tuned it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's... But it's all on the flip side, it's also great because I can literally just be like, I'm done. Yeah. And then I'm good. Like I, I, I know have when that, to stop. Yeah, I have that self-control. I don't, I don't you know... Everybody's different. Every situation is different, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's nothing for me. Most nights, if I'm if I'm with family and we have like a nice dinner, if they come over for dinner, we'll do a red. We'll pair it with whatever meat we're having. Um, we'll throw it in a, in a decanter, let it breathe, and then have it throughout the dinner. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as dinner's over, um, if there's dessert, we'll have dessert. And there's no drinks at dessert. And then once dessert's over with, we'll switch, and then we'll we'll go to brown. And then we'll switch to a bourbon. I always have it neat. My guests always like it with you know on the rocks or yeah. whatever. So they want speed bumps, and then that's the rest of the night. So yeah. this actually kind of tastes similar to a, a palate cleanser. This would be interesting to have with a meal because I feel like it's cleaning my palate. I want to know what you can pair this with food wise, because like dark chocolate goes with a cab sauv. Right, bourbon goes with literally anything. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, this, and then I reds no obviously go with red meat, like dark or like red meat, and then whites go with fish, typically. Yep. But yeah, I don't know what what brandy goes with. I have no clue. That's why it's like it 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 goes with a butt heavy and a good time. <laughs> like that's what you do, you know. So I have no clue. Uh, what? Let's just look it up really quick. What is brandy? 
typically paired with. That's what I'm curious about, because if you can pair this with something, too, that might also add to the experience of, hey, I'm having honey and whatever it it pairs nice with. What food? It keeps telling me cocktails, because I guess the big thing is cocktails. Like mixing brandy with Sprite, I I, guess, is the biggest thing in the entire world. Dude, I love how we literally don't do any cocktails. We're just like, nah, we're just drinking out of the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much easier. So here are five foods that are just perfect when paired with brandy. Um, if you say salad, I'm going to flip out. Venison is number one. Hell yeah, bro. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> number two is fish. Three is cheese. Four is chocolate. And it's making me click on the link to get the last one. Cheese, chocolate, and what? Oh, no. Five. There's only four listed here. It literally <laughs> says here are five foods that are perfect. Then you open up the link and it says four food pairings for brandy. That might surprise you. This is a joke. Let's call it right now. Yep. Um, Take care. But yeah, so venison, I guess. Well, Can I, you see? You eat venison more than I do. Can you make that comparison? You're damn that? right I do. Uh, no, I mean, I, dude, I, I'll i have anything with venison. I love venison. I mean, like we were just saying, wine goes good with certain foods. Whiskey go, goes good with everything. So I bet this would just go well with anything. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's wine slash whiskey, but on the two. Two scale. Uh, but yeah, so that was our Wednesday Whiskey Review for Hennessy, very special cognac. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, and we are going to jump in to our next segment, which is the prominent people of Buffalo. Michael, so we are in episode eight of our Prominent People of Buffalo section, where we are discussing who in the world William Wild Bill Joe Donovan is. But this is going to be part one, because as you were doing your research, you're like, whoa, bro, there's a lot to go through here. Yeah, so we split we split him into part one and two. <sighs> it's 80 proof. Put more in there. This is an amateur hour. We're on episode 72. You're fine. Jesus Christ. I was in the middle of a sentence. (laughs) You're so upset for literally no reason. (laughs) What the hell? Okay, I'll get to it. So let me let me fill in the viewers. So we have we have episode eight. I'm gonna mute you until you pour more. Yeah, I got in my hand. Don't worry, I will. Because I actually enjoy this. I'm like you over there. Six. Six feet away. Oh my god, you prick! So, oh god, this is fun. So, I don't know who gave us a platform to talk. I have no idea. We have three listeners, anyways. One's my aunt, in North Carolina, and then like my sister and your sister. So it's fine. So, all right. So William Wild Bill Joe Donovan was split into part one and two. So there's episode eight and then episode eight alpha to go with our theme. So basically, this man is responsible for. Way more than you would expect anybody would be in their life. And if you want to talk about the king of networking and the king of getting in and out of situations, this is your role model because he's extremely smart. His life is full of accomplishments and medals and he's traveled the world and is extremely cultured and he's an Irishman from Buffalo and there's so much to talk about. So I'm going to start reading. I'm going to pour a little more henna and then we're going to dive right into it. So the man, William Joseph Wild Bill Donovan, was born in 1883 on the 1st of January. He started off strong. Yeah, what a, what a huge move. Uh, he passed away in 1959, which honestly is not that far away. 
Yeah. You know, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So he was an American soldier. This is the overview of the man. He was a soldier in the army. He was a lawyer. He was an intel officer, a diplomat. But he was best known for serving as the head of the OSS, which is the Office of Strategic Services. Guys, the dude from Buffalo is the precursor to the CIA. He, like, because of him and his actions, the CIA was formed. And he was a pivotal piece in allowing that to happen. So now every every dude I serve with is laughing because I just said pivotal piece. So anyways. All right. All of that was during World War II. Um, He was regarded as the founding father of the CIA. A statue of him stands in the lobby of the CIA headquarters building in Langley, Virginia. And he is a decorated veteran of World War I as well. He's the only person to have received all four of the United States highest awards. He has the Medal of Honor. He has the Distinguished Service Cross, the Distinguished Service Medal, and the National Security Medal. Jesus. He's also a recipient of the Silver Star and Purple Heart, and as well as decorations from a number of other nations for her service during both world, both world wars outside of the GAFB. Hold on. So you can receive decorations from other nations? 100%. Really? Yeah. I so, didn't know that. Like I said, he's of Irish descent. He was born in Buffalo, New York, to Anita Latita Tish Donovan, Nee Lenon, and Timothy P. Donovan, both American-born children of Irish immigrants. The Lennons were from Ulster, uh, which is a region in Ireland. And the Donovans were from County Cork. Donovan's grandfather, Timothy O'Donovan Sr., was from the town of... Skibbereen. Skibbereen. Thank you. He was raised by an uncle who was a parish priest. He married Donovan's grandmother, Mary Mahoney. So... She belonged to a prominent family of substa- uh, substantial means that disapproved of him. They first moved to Canada and then to Buffalo, New York, where they dropped the O from their name. Donovan's dad was born in 1858. He worked as a superintendent of a Buffalo railroad yard, and he was a secretary for the Holy Cross Cemetery. He would also attempt to engage in a political career, but he had like super little success. So basically, his family married into some prominent people. They made the move into Buffalo from Canada, and then he just started crushing it when he was a kid. Hmm. So <clears throat> he had two younger brothers and two younger sisters who survived into adulthood and several additional siblings who were young who died in infancy or childhood. Oh, damn. He attended St. Joe's, which is a Catholic institution. He played football there. He acted in plays, and he won an award for oratory. He went to Niagara University. Uh, then a so that's a for those that don't know, it's a Catholic university and seminary where he undertook a pre-law major. He considered priesthood, but he ultimately decided he wasn't good enough to be a priest. Although he did win another oratorical contest, so I guess winning an oratoric uh, winning an award for or, oratory. Is like a religious thing. Obviously, that goes to show how Catholic I am. So, anyways, um, this time with a speech warning of corrupt anti-Christian forces that threaten the United States. So, with the exception of studying law, Donovan eventually transferred to Columbia University, where he looked beyond Catholic dogma 
and attended a Protestant and Jewish and Jewish worship service to decide whether he wanted to change religions. He joined the Phi Kappa C fraternity, rode on varsity crew, and then again won another prize for oratory. He was a campus football hero, and he was voted the most modest and also one of the most handsomest members of his graduating class of 1905. Jeez. So this dude literally killed it in every aspect of life. Dude, he's a stud. So he earned his Bachelor of Arts. He then spent two years at Columbia Law School, where he was a classmate of Franklin D. Roosevelt, and then studied under Harlan Fisk Stone. So after that, he returned to Buffalo, joined the respected law firm of Love and Keating in 1909, and then two years later opened his own firm in partnership with a Columbia classmate, whose name was Bradley Goodyear. No big deal. In 1914, their firm emerged with another, becoming Goodyear and O'Brien. In 1912, he helped form and become the leader of a troop of cavalry of the New York National Guard. So the unit was mobilized in 1916 and served on the U.S.-Mexico border during the American government's campaign against Pancho Villa. He studied military strategy and combat tactics. He also took acting courses in New York City from a stage star of the day, Eleanor Robson. In 1914, he married Ruth Rumsey, who was a Buffalo Harris who had attended Rosemary Hall. In 1916, he spent several months in Berlin on behalf of the Rockefeller Foundation, seeking to persuade the governments of Britain and Germany to allow the shipment of food and clothing into Belgium, Serbia, and Poland. What a mission that was. Seriously. In July of that year, at the behest of the State Department, he returns to the U.S. and took his cav troop to the Texas border to join General John Pershing's army in the hunt for Pancho Villa. He was promoted to major in the field, then returned to Buffalo, and then joined the 69th Regiment. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. The Fighting 69th? Mm-hmm. So... This was the same 69th of Civil War fame, later called the 165th, which was trained for America's expected entry into World War I and which became part of the 42 division. So 42 ID, also mega fan, is a part of the 69th. I was a part of 42 ID. I was also a part of a cav troop as an infantryman because that's how the squadron broke up with the 27th IBCT, for those that know all that gibberish. Um, But 42 ID is known as a rainbow division. Um, Off camera, I can tell you why. Um, so Douglas, Douglas MacArthur was the 42 division's chief of staff. So in World War One, he leads the battalion 165th Infantry of the 42 ID. He serves in France, suffers shrapnel wounds in his leg, and almost blinded by gas. He performed a rescue under fire. He was offered the Croaks de Gris, but he turned it down because a Jewish soldier who had taken part in the same rescue had not also been awarded the honor. So until the insult was corrected, Donovan accepted the distinction. So he waited until this, the guy that also was a part of the same act that he was. Get it, too. Get it? He wasn't accepting it until that guy got it, too. Which, again, goes back to him winning the award for most modest when he was in college. And the, the Croaks de Guru is a foreign nation award that okay. he was awarded as an American soldier. Um uh, there it is. Okay, so he was also awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for leading an assault during the Asni Marne campaign, in which hundreds of members of his regiment died, including his action or his acting adjunct, the poet Joyce Kilmer. 
1940 James Cagney movie, The Fighting 69th, dramatized the events of this battle and the 69th Infantry Regiment's role in it. Donovan's remarkable level of endurance, which far exceeded that of the much younger soldiers under his command, led those men to give him the nickname Wild Bill, which stuck for him the rest of his life. Although he professed annoyance with the nickname, his wife admitted that deep down he loved it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, assigned commanding officer of the 165th, he then fought in another battle that took place near Landres e. St. George's on October 14th through the 15th in 1918. He went into battle. He ignored the officer's custom of covering or stripping off insignia or rank because it was a target for snipers. And instead, he sailed forth wearing his medals. So he's like, I'm not taking off my rank because it's a target. In fact, I'm going to go in wearing all my medals so that people know that I'm in charge and I'm just going to lay waste and do my job. Jesus. The dude's a savage. They so according to Evan Thomas, he said, they can't hit me and they won't hit you. That's what he said to his men. But he was struck in the knee by a bullet, uh, <laughs> although he refused to be evac'd and continued to direct his men until even American tanks were turning back under withering German fire. So he lobbied, uh, being lobbied by his best friend, Father Francis Duffy, who was a famous and widely revered army chaplain, Donovan was awarded an oak leaf, cluff, an oak leaf cluster of the Distinguished Service Cross for his service in the battle. Uh, so that's basic. When you get like oak leaves and things like that, you're already awarded the award. But when you get it again, you get an oak leaf, cluff, uh, an oak leaf cluster. And then hmm. it basically says like, hey, you've had this X amount of times. So... Catching up in in the words on all the TVs. For those that are new, I'm looking at a TV. After the armistice of the uh, November 11th, 1918, Donovan remained in Europe as part of the occupation. He returned to New York in April 1919, and then now he was a colonel for major, and he was widely discussed as a possible candidate for governor, but he rejected it, proclaimed his intention to return to Buffalo, and resume law. So he gets back to Buffalo and starts crushing his law... Uh, his law career. And then <clears throat> he then takes his wife on a combined vacation slash business trip slash Intel mission to Japan. Literally, Casual. literally like uh, Tom in the blacklist. So he goes to Japan and China and Korea, then went alone to Siberia and he went back to work at his law firm after that. But then he also took an extensive journey to Europe where he did business on behalf of JP Morgan and then gathered intel about international communism. So from 1922 to 24, while maintaining his own law practice, he served as an, uh, the U S attorney for the Western district of New York. A high point came in 1923 when as a result of continued pressure from father Duffy, he was finally awarded the medal of honor for his heroic acts in the battle of Landres eight St. George's. Presented with the medal at a New York City ceremony that was attended by about 4,000 vets, Donovan refused to keep it, saying that it belonged not to him, but to the boys who were not here, and to the boys who was resting under the white crosses in France or in the cemeteries in New York, also to the boys who were lucky enough to come through. Jesus. I, dude, I like love this dude. So... As a U.S. attorney, he was becoming well-known as a vigorous crime fighter. He was especially famous and in some circles notorious for his energetic enforcement of prohibition. This is super interesting. So there was a number of threats to assassinate him and uh, blow up his home with dynamite, but he was not deterred. 
the climax of his war on alcohol came in August 1923 when his agents raided the upmarket Saturn Club. So he was a member of the club and they basically raided the place and confiscated large amounts of illegal liquor that they knew he knew it was there. Because he was a member. Because he was a member. <laughs> but he was also the U.S. attorney. So he, had a, he was like torn. Do I do my job or do I protect the boys? And he's like, screw it, I'm doing my job. Which pissed off a bunch of the members who formed much of the city's upper crust. So it pissed all them off. And then they thought that prohibition did not apply to people such as themselves. Well, Donovan laughed and said, no, it does. Typical 1%. So, oh, they're just a bunch of wasps. So some regarded Donovan as a traitor to their class and recalled that Donovan had not, after all, been born to high station, but was, in fact, an Irish Catholic who married into the world of privileged Mm -hmm. professional Protestants. Obviously. Again, wasps. So Donovan's law partner, Bradley Goodyear, quit the firm in anger over the raid, and then Donovan... Uh... Sorry, Donovan's old wife never forgave him for it. Yeah, so the many working class of the Buffalo residents cheered the raid as an example of equal justice before the law. So in 1924, President Coolidge cleaned house at the Department of Justice in the wake of late President Hardy's teapot dome scandal. He was appointed... Uh, so Donovan was then appointed by the former professor Harlan Stone as attorney general and named Donovan as Stone's assistant in charge of the criminal division. Donovan and his wife split their time between Washington and Buffalo. He still continued to run his own law firm. Wow. At the Justice Department, Donovan hired women and eschewed yes-men. He and his wife became a popular Washington couple, although Donovan's relationship with the acting director of the Bureau of Investigation, J. Edgar Hoover, briefly one of his underlines, was fraught with friction. So him and Hoover did not get along. And this goes years down the road. Like, they never really got along, ever. So when Stone was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1925, Donovan was put in charge of the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, often serving as a de facto AG during the frequent absences of Stone's successor, John Gillibaldi Sergeant. Garibaldi. Garibaldi Sergeant. Sounds like a chocolate company. (laughs) So, resigning from the Department of Justice in 1929, Donovan moved to New York City, New York, and formed a new law firm, Donovan Leisure Newton and Irvin, in partnership with Frankie R- Rachel. Looks it. Nailed it. Despite the stock market crash, he made a success in handling many of the mergers and acquisitions and bankruptcies that then resulted. So, he runs as a Republican in 1932 to succeed uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt as governor of New York. Assisting Donovan in his 1932 campaign was a journalist named James Montague, who served as personal advisor and campaign critic. But despite Donovan's offstage charm and force, he proved to be an uninspiring campaigner really? on the stump. That sucks. Yep. So he ran a disorganized, strategy-free campaign and in the end lost to the Dems. During the interwar years, as part of a informal network of American businessmen and lawyers who closely tracked and collected intel on foreign affairs, Donovan traveled extensively in Europe and Asia, establishing himself as a player in international affairs. Honing his skills as an intel gatherer overseas, he met with such foreign leaders as Mussolini, with whom he discussed World War I, as well as the expansionist ideology of Italy fascism 
and Roosevelt's prospects for re-election in 1936. Mussolini granted Donovan permission to visit the Italian front in Ethiopia, where he found Italy's military much improved since the war, and then predicted an Italian victory. Oh, yeah. Donovan also made connections with leading figures in Nazi Germany, but he was no friend of the dictators, publicly assailing Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin as to totalitarians. Totalitarians. Crushed it. (laughs) And also taking steps to protect his Jewish clients in Europe from the Nazis. So, he forms relationships with insanely... Jesus, dude, how much we got? A lot, dude. So, So, he's... Overseas, married, has a law form. He's playing the political game with foreign affairs and domestic affairs all at the same time. I like it's it's ridiculous. Jesus. He's literally like Raymond Reddington in the blacklist. <laughs> so Donovan openly believed during his time that a second major European war was inevitable. His foreign experience and realism earned him the friendship of President Frank Lindy Roosevelt. Notwithstanding their extreme differences in domestic policy, and despite the fact that Donovan, during the 1932 election campaign, criticized Roosevelt's record as governor of New York, the two men from opposing political parties were similar in personality. Roosevelt respected his experience and felt that Hoover had done Donovan wrong on the AG appointment and believed that if Donovan had been a Democrat, he could have been elected president. Donovan's national profile had risen considerably thanks to the 1940 film done by Warner Brothers, The Funny 69th, and Roosevelt recognized a useful, a useful opportunity to exploit Donovan's newfound popularity. The two men began exchanging notes about developments abroad, and then Roosevelt recognized that Donovan could be an important ally and advisor. So Roosevelt brings him in, due to his insight, and then following Germany's and the USSR's invasion of Poland with the 4th Panzer Division in September 1939, World War II starts in Europe, Roosevelt began to put U.S. on a war footing. It was a crisis of the sort that Donovan had predicted, and he sought out a responsible place in the wartime infrastructure. The recommendation of Donovan's friend, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox, Roosevelt gave him a number of increasingly important assignments. So in 1940-1941, he travels to Britain, where he was urged by Knox and Roosevelt to gauge Britain's ability to withstand Germany's aggression. So that's his mission. He links up with all these super important dudes in the White House, and they send him over to Britain, and they're like, hey, let us know if they can withstand Germany. So during the trips, he meets with key officials in the British war effort, including Churchill, who had awesome hats, and the director of Britain's intel services. So he had lunch with King George VI all at the same time. Dude's just crushing it, meeting all the boys. So Donovan and Churchill get along famously. I feel like this is a fiction book. Yeah, it's great. It needs to be a movie. (laughs) Outside of the Fighting 69th. So he's friends with Churchill, because, you know, it's a Tuesday. They share war stories, and then they recite in unison the 19th century poem, The Cavalier's Song, by William Motherwell. Impressed by Donovan and cheered by his eagerness to help Britain, Churchill ordered that he be given unlimited access to classified intel. Just let him know everything. So he returns to the U.S. confident in Britain's chances, and then he was enamored of the possibility of founding an American intel service because he hung out with Britain's intel services over there. Mm -hmm. He's like, why don't we do this in the U.S.? So he strongly urges Roosevelt to give Churchill the aid he's requesting. Roosevelt wanted to provide such aid and asked Donovan to use his knowledge of the law to figure out how to skirt the congressional ban on selling 
arm armaments are are okay how do we sell guns to these people yeah. figure out a way to do it so the british diplomats who share churchill's admiration for donovan expressed the wish to state department officials that donovan replace u.s ambassador britain joseph p kennedy they're like hey your current ambassador sucks replace him with this guy so he was favored uh and was defeatist regarding British prospects. In the view of Walter Lippmann, a political communal- c- columnist, Donovan's findings about Britain's fighting capability almost single-handedly overcame the unmitigated defeatism, which was paralyzing Washington. Donovan also examined the naval defenses in the Pacific, which he found wanting, and visited several countries along the Mediterranean and in the Middle East, serving as an unofficial envoy for both the u.s and britain and urging leaders to stand up to fight the nazis so this is the last bit he also met frequently in new york with william stephenson who was a spy for mi6 no big deal who was known as intrepid donovan and stephenson according to evan thomas who wrote a a bibliography on him eventually became so close that they were known as big bill and little bill donovan douglas waller has said could not have formed the OSS without the British, who provided intel, trainers, organizational charts, and advice, all with the idea of making OSS an adjunct to British intel. Donovan wanted to mount his own operations, though. So that's part one of this dude's life. Jesus. So he's just crushing it. Yeah. Like, born on New Year's, joins the guard. Yeah, it all started being born on January 1st. He's like, I'm going to make the most out of this first year. Yeah, exactly. So then he joins the guard. He's in 42 ID, fights with the fighting 69th, travels the world, becomes a a foreign ambassador for the U.S. government, becomes an informant for the U.S. government by linking up with all these other world leaders and figuring out how we can defeat them in time of war, befriends all the players all around the world, is a lawyer, naturally works his way up the political realm, and then... Raids his own people to do his job yeah. and then do the right thing, even though all the wasps said not to. It is what it is. Then he comes back after all this travels. His wife is still around and supportive, apparently. And now he's like, I want to mount my own spy agency within the U.S. government. How do I make this happen? And then that is part two next week. Jesus. So tune in. There's a lot to di- a lot to discuss. Again, it's a famous <laughs> phrase, but I'm super excited for it because the guy is just an absolute animal that wastes absolutely no time in his day. So thank you for your time. We appreciate it. I think it's been four hours, 26 minutes, and 14 seconds. It's been an hour and 10 minutes, so... Thank you, everybody, for sticking around for all this. There was a lot of information in this episode, but if you found any of it informative, please hit that like button. Leave a comment down below. Did you know who Wild Bill Joe Joe Donovan was? Let us know in the comments below. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our um, hashtags and everything are right here. You can go follow them. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining. This has been episode two or 72 of the Buffalo Happy Hour podcast. We have a ton of interviews releasing. With this, I believe we have... Tell them. Tell him. I don't know who we have releasing with this interview. Tell him. Uh, last week, we just had uh, Juicy, Juicy bar. Burger Bar. So this week, we're going to be having Bagel Jar. Woo! So that'll be releasing with this episode. Mike is on a totally new level. Uh, we've never seen this from Mike Kelly before, so I'm going to kind of mute his mic going <laughs> forward. But thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please remember to drink responsibly. Be a good person. And Michael. Do not litter, people. We're out.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.